Hi, this is Debbie Taylor-Williams. Thank you for tuning in to my podcast. I'm so glad you're here and pray the Lord will speak to you through this message. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we are so grateful for your word. We are so grateful for you. We are grateful for the gift of salvation. We are grateful for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We are grateful for the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom we give praise and glory. Father, I thank you for these ladies, for these friends who have gathered. I thank you for those who are watching by YouTube and that they are able to receive your word that way. Father, I pray for a fresh kindling of your spirit in each of us. I pray that if there is one here or one who is listening who has had head knowledge of you and believed in you by head knowledge only, that today would be the day of salvation that your Holy Spirit would quicken the heart and mind to understand that a faith response following repentance is what you desire. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, ladies, turn, as I said, if you're just now coming in, to chapter 8 in Acts. We are seeing how the Acts of the Holy Spirit the acts of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is acting out through the apostles and not only the apostles, but also through the disciples. Saul's persecution of Christians causes Philip to take the gospel to Samaria, an Ethiopian eunuch, and also to the cities all the way to Caesarea. And it's a, an incredible study that we're looking at today because we're seeing Jesus' three-phase expansion of Christianity that began in Jerusalem, now expanding, and it is going beyond Jerusalem to all Judea and to Samaria, and then we'll see to the outermost parts of the earth. Now, in Acts 1 through 3, on your listening guide, you see that Saul ravages the church imprisoning Christians. And let's look at this passage together. Beginning with verse 1, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting Stephen to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women, and he would put them in prison. Stephen's death, Stephen's death, it was like it ignited a fire in the Jews who did not believe in Jesus. It ignited a fire. It ignited a fire in Saul. And when it tells us that he began ravaging, this is the imagery of a lion or a wild animal mangling, mangling its victims. And it also is worthy to note that it says they weren't just taking men, but they are ravaging men and women. But we're going to see a little bit later just like men and women were being ravaged, God had men and women be saved. Aren't you glad that we didn't have to wait 
until some law or bill was passed as in countries liberating women. Instead, God has always been for you, dear sister in Christ. There is not man or woman in his life. And so we see this very first point. Saul was very religious, but we see that you can be a religious person. You can be zealous, but wrong. You can be religiously zealous, but wrong. My father was a committed church member, but he was not a Christian. This is important for you and me to know, to realize first for ourselves, for our spouses, our children, our grandchildren, our neighbors, a person that we attend church with. God looks at the heart as we are going to see. Now we see a second point here, and that is Jesus prepares believers for persecution. He told them in John 16 too, you will be hated by all on account of me. But in Matthew 28, 20, he said, I will be with you even to the end of the earth. So we need to pay attention here. Because sometimes Christians can think once they commit their lives to Jesus that he is going to guard them because he's the guardian of our soul. But catch the word guardian of our soul. People think that because they're a Christian, harm shouldn't come to them. That they should be more blessed than a person who is not a Christian. That is not the teaching of God's word. That is false teaching. Nowhere does Jesus say that when we come to him, that things are going to be easier than they are for our unbelieving friend, neighbor, spouse. He prepares us to be hated. So you and I will be prepared. He does not promise that we will be in the witness protection program like the United States and some other countries have. We need to be mindful of this. Now let's read because we see that not only is there persecution going on here in Jerusalem at that time, but it is continuing. It started then and it is to this day. In Colombia, gang a Columbia gang blocks a church outside of the church and won't let the preacher inside. In Malaysia, a pastor was abducted. There's a video of it. Someone captured it. And three black limousines came and encircled his white car. And he was dragged out and taken. And they, his wife and family do not know where he is. In India, some un Indian believers prayed for a church member. The church member ended up not healing, but rather than, but rather dying. And so these men had been jailed because they prayed for somebody in the church and there was not healing. How many of us would be in jail because we had prayed, God, please restore this person's health and perhaps their health wasn't restored, and then we would be arrested and put in jail. How would you like that? Intimidation doesn't stop just with other countries. We've seen that with the Colorado baker who has been harassed and fined for refusing to make a cake that was not in line with his Christian beliefs. This lady, a floral designer for 10 years, was hounded and sued because of her Christian beliefs, 
pro-abortion terrorist firebomb an Oregon pregnancy center. Joe Kennedy, a Christian who prayed on the 50-yard line after his games, was put on administrative leave because he refused to stop praying. Persecution of Christians is then and it is today. There is persecution, there is ravaging, but there is also preaching and there is rejoicing. So let's begin in verse 4. And look, it had this dispersion, this scattering of Christians, what happened as a result of it. Therefore, those who had been scattered about went preaching the word. You had a question, I think, on your study that asked, would you, would you continue preaching? Would you continue talking about Jesus if you had seen the persecution? Or would you resettle to the next place and perhaps be quiet about your faith and hope to just live it out by your example? You know, that's a very convenient thing that people say in America. I just want to live out my faith and people be able to see it. You are not going to see anywhere in the scripture that it says our witness is a solo life. It also shows us repeatedly that we have to open our mouths and give an explanation for our faith because there are a lot of great Buddhists. There are a lot of peace-loving agnostics. So just the fact that you're a sweet, kind person and do good for other people does not distinguish you from an unbeliever who is a really great, good person. At some point, we have to give an explanation for our faith, and that's why it makes a point and says they went about preaching. They opened their mouths. And so we see this. Philip goes to Samaria, and we see our third point, that what man means for evil, God can use for good. That was exactly what Joseph said in Genesis 50, 20, and it continues all the way to Revelation when we see the Antichrist coming and the persecution of Christians who become Christians after the rapture and how God ends up always using everything for good. We see in verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard, heard, would you say that word with me? Heard, look at your neighbor and say, open your mouth, open your mouth and talk about it as they heard and saw. Heard and saw. Do this with me. Heard and saw. Heard and saw. The signs which he was performing from the case of many who had unclean spirits. They were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice. And many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. Verse 8 tells us, so there was much rejoicing in that city. So we see that rejoicing is a word that is repeated when people are seeing and they are hearing the word of God. They are either rejoicing over what they are hearing, if the soil of their heart is good, or they are rejecting and ravaging if what Jesus describes as the soil of their heart is hardened. We continue and we see in verse 
six, our fourth point, that unbelievers have the opportunity. That's what you and I are giving them when we live, when we speak, when we say, when we explain. Unbelievers have the opportunity to come to faith when they see what we claim about Jesus. When you say, no, I'm not worried, I'm praying, and then they see your peace. That is seeing and hearing, and it provides people the opportunity to come to faith. There was much rejoicing. Now, verse 9 tells us there was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. Hey, I'm, I'm pretty great. I'm pretty great. Come see what I can do. That should be a red flag. That should be a red flag when somebody has to tell you that they're great. Verse 10 says, and they all... From the smallest to the greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, they were repeating what he said. This man is what is called the great power. And they added, of God. Friends, there is so much that we could unpack if we stayed right here. Be careful in the end time. Satan is going to disguise himself as an angel of light, and he will empower people to do signs and wonders, and people will flock to him, will flock to deceptive preachers and teachers. And especially in Revelation, there will be such incredible signs the Antichrist will even appear to die and then come back to life like Christ did. Satan always mimics Jesus. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. I just want to hug every one of your necks because you are saying by your presence here, I want to be a learner. I want to know the truth. It is a truth that sets us free. You will be sharp. Your senses are being quickened. They're being heightened. Right, the second the Lord Jesus Christ and Holy Spirit are equipping you, they are tilling the soil of your heart and your mind and your spirit. You are growing. You and I are growing in the Lord by what we are doing here. Verse 11 says, they were giving attention, him attention. And this is the second time we are told this, both in verse 10 and verse 11. They were giving him attention. In the absence of truth, People will give attention to the false. In the absence of truth, people will give attention to the lies. In the absence of what is holy, people will fill their lives with what is unholy. That's why we've got to be present. That's why we've got to speak. That's why we have to act. Verse 11 says, they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. But... Verse 12, when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus, they were being baptized, men and women alike. They were saying, okay, this, this, this name of Jesus, this is what sounds good. And they were being baptized. And again, we see men and women included here alike. Verse 13, even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. It appears he's a disciple. It appears like he's a genuine believer. He continued on with Philip, and as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. He was amazed at the signs. 
not the Savior. Not the Savior. We are told and we learn how important it is in verses 7 and 8 that we tell people how they can experience the joy of salvation and not go to hell. Colossians 1, 13 through 14 says, He, Jesus, rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. He rescued us. And we are to tell people how they can experience that. It's important for us also to note in verses 9 through 11, that magic, sorcery, divination, wizardry are condemned by God. They are the manifestations of Satan. Satan has power and he gifts people to use it when they open themselves up to it. In high school, I had a friend named Chad. We weren't close friends. He was a younger, he was a year younger than me. And I graduated from high school, college. Keith and I got married, moved to San Antonio. I had not seen Chad in years. God keeps bringing people back into my life that I haven't seen in years. <laughs> this time, it was Chad, this, this person a year younger than me, and I had run to get some milk. We were visiting my parents in Lubbock and ran to a 7-Eleven to get some milk around 9 o'clock or something at night. I remember it was dark. And I saw Chad, who I hadn't seen since graduating from high school. And we were in line at the counter, spoke and said, hello. And I said, how are you? And he didn't reply, oh, good. He, he, he was dark. There was something very somber. Uh, and I said, are you okay? And we started walking out of the 7-Eleven together, and he said, no, I almost died tonight, and I tried to stab my girlfriend, and I didn't want to. And I'm, you know, well, how are you doing today? Well, yeah, I'm fine. You know, I just I came for milk, and you just came from trying to stab your girlfriend and almost being killed. And so for, we ended up in, in, sitting in my car, and, and, and as I sat there and talked to him. He told me how in high school they had had an assignment, his, I think, senior year, and he had gone to the library to try to figure out what he wanted to do, his paper on, and the, the a book on the occult and magic tricks and all that caught his eye. And so he decided, he bought the book and he decided he would do his research paper on that, and he took the book home, and he started doing a few of the little hocus-pocus experiments, and they came true. Well, he ended up getting deep into the occult, deep into the occult. That man that night was fearful. He said his life had almost been taken from him that night. And when he looked at me and he said, I got a knife and something inside of me just told me to get the knife and try to stab my girlfriend. And I didn't want to, but it was telling me to do it. And he was shaken. He was shaken. Friends, we're hearing a whole lot about megachurches and good things that are happening and the Lord moving in power, but we are also hearing a whole lot about Satan and him filling people and them moving in power, hurting, harming, doing brutal things to people. Satan is alive and well, and God says, stay away from tarot cards, stay away from psychic healers, stay away from divination, Stay away from witchcraft. 
And if you don't think witchcraft is a real thing in our country, it is a huge thing. We've got a store in Kerrville that offers you different things that you can use for witchcraft, and not just one. There are witch conventions and witch site blogs, and the number of witches in the United States has increased unbelievably to the hundreds of thousands. And they talk about how they do not look or appear any different than you. They are your children's teachers. They are hospital workers. Do not participate in anything having to do and do not laugh about it or smirk at it. It is real. They are tools of Satan. We instead are to draw people's attention to Christ to the power of the Holy Spirit, to the miracles, to the gifts of the Spirit, to God's grace, to his peace. We're supposed to be turning heads instead of Satan's instruments turning heads. Now in verses 13 and 18 through 24, this can be a very confusing passage, right? Because the scripture as a whole teaches that at the moment we receive Christ, we also receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And what water baptism is, water baptism is an external show of what happens to us. When a person is baptized and they go down into the water, that is showing their identification with the death of Christ, his burial, and when they are raised out of the water, that is a picture of Christ's resurrection and new life, the washing away of sins. Water baptism identifies the believer with the body of Christ, like circumcision in the Old Testament identified the Jews as part of being the covenant people of God. If you have never been baptized, it is a wonderful thing to do of all ages. It is not just for a child. It is not just for a teenager when they come to salvation. If you have never had the, the pleasure of that visual identification, do it. I was, I was baptized a second time, not of the Holy Spirit, but I was baptized as an adult because my, my childhood baptism, I didn't remember it that well. And I remember when Keith and I were teaching at a church in San Antonio and we got to Matthew where it said that Jesus was baptized and, and it's, his explanation was it was for fitting to perform all righteousness. And I thought, well, if Jesus can do it, I can do it as an adult. I wanted to be baptized as an adult where it meant something more to me than it did when I was a child. It's certainly not going to hurt anything if you want to be baptized again. And whoever is baptizing, you can explain that you've been a Christian for a long time. Or it may be that you're like my daddy, who was a member of a church, and it was not until he was 46 that he realized that it was head acknowledgement that Jesus is the Son of God. And I'm a sinner, and I need to say I'm sorry, but it wasn't the same as a repentant heart, faith, spirit, baptism. Those are two totally different things. James 2, 19 through 20 says, even the demons believe and tremble. So just to believe that Jesus is the son of God, that's no, that's no different than a devil, than the demons Instead, Romans 10, 9, 
explains if you believe in your heart, if you believe in your heart. And so here we see what the New Testament church and after Christ, it's the circumcision of the heart. It's the circumcision of the heart. Now, in this passage, I want us to go ahead and look at this because in verses 14 and continuing before we move on, it says, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John. And then it goes on to talk about how they laid their hands on them and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Some people have said, now why? At this time, for the first time, the gospel has gone outside of the Jewish faith to a people that were looked at as heretical, the Sumerians. They were a mixed breed, and, and so they were not part of the nucleus of the Jewish faith. The apostles had remained, those 12 apostles had remained in Jerusalem. It was home base. And just like after Jesus died, they returned to the upper room. The upper room was home base. They needed a home base so that when believers were scattered, they knew they could come back and find a home base. And Peter and John and the home base church needed to go see and authenticate that what they had experienced by the power of God in Jerusalem at Pentecost, it was happening in Samaria by those people. And so when they saw them and they prayed for them and, and they laid hands on them and the manifestation of the Spirit was there, then they knew it was not just for the Jews. It was not just for Jerusalem. And so they were seeing that. Let's continue because we see in verse 18, when Simon saw the spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money saying, give this authority to me as well so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you. So he's saying, you're going to perish, not live. The reason I'm pointing this out is that some commentators say, well, Simon was a, a believer. He was a Christian because he believed that there is no indication from Simon's life that he was a Christian. There is no rejoicing. There is no being devoted to prayer that is symbolic or evidenced by the other people who have come to faith. He, he even refuses to pray, we see in a few minutes. Plus, Peter's words with the gift of discernment, he says, you have no part. You have no portion in this for your heart. Your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. I see you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. This is not a Christian. This is a, a professor, somebody who professes, but not a possessor. There's a difference in somebody who professes and somebody who possesses the Holy Spirit. If there's a family member you have and you say, well, when they were little, they said the prayer and there can be confusion. I just recently heard of a, of a youth group where at the end of the great youth group, the pastor said, now everybody bow your heads and repeat after me. And so the youth, because he said, everybody bow your heads and repeat after me, they repeated the sinner's prayer. 
So if somebody ever said to them, well, have you ever prayed and asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins? One of those youth, if they don't have an understanding, they could say, I have. But they haven't if it wasn't the Holy Spirit convicting their heart. We have to be careful. And we have to explain. And we need to engage people. If you've got a friend or a loved one or a grandchild, and they say, yes, I'm a Christian, say, oh, tell me. That's all you have to say. Write it down. Tell me about when you became a Christian. Just say that to them. Say, tell me. Don't make it an open-ended yes or no. Say, tell me. Or even somebody you've known for a long time that's a friend, you could say, you know what? You and I have coffee every week, or we have lunch, or we play bridge. But I've never even asked you something that is just so dear to my heart about your faith. Tell me, when did you first come to have a personal relationship with Jesus? That's not threatening. That's, that's being a, a conversational Caring friends. We see here, Simon refused to pray. Now, beginning in verses 25 through 40, we see that an angel of the Lord and the Holy Spirit sent Philip to an Ethiopian eunuch who believes, and then he snatches Philip where he preaches the gospel. I have the yellow arrows that show you that it went from Jerusalem up to Samaria where I have the star. Then in orange, you see how Philip is going to be going back down to Gaza, the same Gaza you read about in the newspapers today is one in the same, the Gaza Strip. This is it. And then he goes back on up all the way, which is a, a port city. So we are reading about what happened in places that we are very familiar with. And we see how this Ethiopian eunuch that Philip is going to talk to has traveled 1,200 miles to Jerusalem to worship. And sometimes we can't even drive across town, right? And he then takes the gospel all the way across the Red Sea, and we see how Christianity spread. Isn't it fantastic? Never despise where the Holy Spirit sends you. Verse 25, so when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages to the Samaritans. I want you to note we do not have a record that Peter and John were preaching on the way to Samaria, but boy howdy, what were they doing on the way back? They were preaching. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. He leaves where he sees the message being received by a good number of people, and he goes down a desert road. We are told in verse 27, so he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace. This is like queen of the Ethiopians. It would be like saying king of England, and he was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. This Ethiopian eunuch is a wealthy man. He is a man of high rank, of high esteem. I want you to notice something here very quickly. That's why I have on my tennis shoes today. I've got on my running outfit. When I was preparing to teach the Pray With Passion conference, and God led this to me to show and demonstrate our relationship with the Holy Spirit. I got on my running outfit. When I was preparing to teach the Pray With Passion conference, and God led this to me to show and demonstrate 
our relationship with the Holy Spirit and how we are to pray and we are to repent and we are to ask, but we are also to yield to the Holy Spirit. That yielding is acting on what God tells me to do. It is a go-so relationship. Say that with me. Go-so relationship that results in God being glorified. And this is what we see. Do you see how responsive his heart is? And I absolutely love this. Now, our eighth point that we're going to see in this passage very quickly is Jesus speaks through angels. And we see here an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. And I will tell you, I had the experience once of being accompanied. I am convinced by two angels on one of my ministry trips. I can remember their faces like it was yesterday, and it's been almost 15 years. I was going through a difficult time. I believe I was being deceived in some areas of my life. And when I got to the airport and got on the airplane, these two men were sitting there. One refused to look at me. They were brothers. Oh, they, I think they said they were brothers. I'm not sure about that. But they said they were going on a ministry, on a, a trip. And the one refused to look at me. He was staunch. He was like the law. The other one had the most gracious face and smile. His law and grace accompanied me on that mission trip. I didn't think anything more about it until I was ready for my return flight home. And I was sad. I was really going through one of the roughest times. And I got to the airport early, and I was sat down in the terminal, and I noticed that this man was looking at me like this over there in the front pre-boarding area, and I thought, who world is that? And I looked back down, and he kept doing this, and I looked up again, and I was like, that's those same two men. What a coincidence that the very same two men are on the, my return flight. And I got on the airplane, and, and it was like the Lord just said, sit down beside them. I believe with all my heart that those were two angels. And the Bible tells us that we have angels, ministering spirits, sent to believers today. So Jesus speaks through angels. He speaks through the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of the Lord. We see in verse 39. And he speaks through Scripture. We see in verses 32 through 35. He gives specific instructions. He uses believers who are responsive and quick to obey. He uses scriptures to convict unbelievers and draw them to salvation. Now, regarding angels, they are mentioned in at least 34 books of the Bible. They are created in holiness. They have intellect, emotion, and will. And they are ministering spirits sent to believers. Hebrews 1.14. They are not humans. So if you hear somebody saying, or when they die, a person dies, you do not become an angel when you get to heaven. And people, when they say, well, you're just an angel, that's a sweet comment. But angels are angels. Heads up, people like Saul continue to persecute Christians. Satan continues to work through sorcery. And God continues to use ministering angels, the Holy Spirit, and Scripture to draw people to himself and salvation. I close by asking you this question. Will you be a runner? Are you available? What if Philip had said, oh, I'm not dressed to speak to this Ethiopian eunuch? What if Philip had said, but I'm not as educated. I'm not as rich. Philip, instead of giving excuses when the spirit prompted, 
Philip was a go-so Christian. Will you be a runner for Jesus? Will you be a go-so Christian when the Spirit prompts you? Thank you for listening to this podcast. To learn more about how to grow in Christ or to be saved, visit www.debbietaylorwilliams.com. Connect with me on Instagram at Debbie Taylor Williams. God bless you.